We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friend at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. Man, I know that uh, it is easy to dunk on Biden. It's it's the easiest thing in the world. The song is super catchy. Yeah. NATO's purpose is defend against aggression. Let me make let me make yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so I came in with that not to talk about Joe Biden so much, but John Fetterman. Uh, we're talking about some deeply, deeply flawed candidates here, and that's not even really the point of this segment, but it has to be acknowledged, right? Uh, it's not the first time we've talked about it this morning either. It's It was an incredible debate Tuesday night. I watched the entire thing, which I am not apt to do, watch an entire debate uh, from another state. But this is the U.S. Senate at stake right there, possibly hinging on how that debate goes. And if that's any indication, the Republicans are going to take back the Senate. <laughs> um, if, if, if you just consumed it in clips, I'll say this again. John Fetterman running for Senate in Pennsylvania versus Dr. Oz running for Senate as a Republican. That was one of the most brutal debates I've ever seen in my life. And I didn't even intend to watch the whole thing, but I knew that Fetterman had only agreed to one debate, first of all, and he had only agreed to it for an hour. So, however, whatever I was going to watch, I knew it was not going to be much longer because he only agreed to an hour of this. And Dr. Oz was doing really well. I wouldn't give him 100%, but he was slick. He knew what he was doing. And here's the thing. It's not just because he was a TV personality. He knew what he was talking about. As a conservative, he had he had to win me over. Now, not that I'm a Pennsylvania voter, but... In theory, he'd have to win over me, people like me, people like you, if you're on the conservative side of things, which I'm not going to assume that you are, but if you are, he had to win you over a little bit because he has some baggage. He's said some things in the past that were not terribly conservative, in fact, would even look to be left-leaning. He he did that. He absolutely said everything that I needed to hear about his stance on abortion, about the border, about crime, about American energy on being unleashed. He did a great job. And Fetterman was so much the opposite of that. It's almost unbelievable. I don't want to here. Here's the thing. When we pull clips, that's why I came with that Biden song, because he's a he's a clip machine. You know, you do have to watch a Biden. Here's the thing. With most politicians, the the clip finders sit there waiting, 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 and then, oh, he flubs something, they grab the clip. With Biden, you know there are going to be multiple clips per interview. 
So that's not even a question or per press conference when he does them. With Fetterman, it's even beyond that, though, where when Fetterman speaks, you just, it's just an albatross. It's going to sink his campaign, the fact that he can't speak clearly. There's a lot of questions about his health, obviously, and that debate Tuesday night did nothing to put those to rest. And so my suggestion, rather than just playing clips, which I will, I'll play you a clip here, but beyond just grabbing this, because what this shows you is here's a moment where he screwed up. What I'm trying to communicate to you before I play this clip is that it wasn't just this. You could have at any moment dipped into that hour-long debate and seen this very thing. It wasn't that I'm pulling the worst. It's that this is an average clip from the night. Here you go. Now, we, we all have to make sure that everyone that works is able to, that's, that's the most American bargain, that if you work full-time, you should be able to live in dignity as well, true. And I believe they haven't have any businesses being, being uh, we can't have businesses being subsidized by not paying ind- uh, individuals that just simply can't have to, to pay their own way. Again, that was every answer. So it's not something that I'm having to work hard to do here or even try to show you. It's I encourage you to watch any point of that debate. You don't have to go watch the whole thing. But if you can find it, click on it just and just move the cursor somewhere in the middle there. Listen to one question where Oz answers a question and then Fetterman answers a question. At some points in it, he decided to try to go after Dr. Oz, which was embarrassingly bad because they train them to do that, right? They train them to attack their opponents. And Dr. Oz is, is oddly not that great at that, but Fetterman's record is bad enough. And Oz for his part, he didn't say a single thing about Fetterman's health. Now, obviously that's part of coaching too. Fetterman's been trying to make that an issue that, oh, I'm, I'm, I, have, I have this problem and everybody's beating me up and, and I'm with you. He even did his opening and closing statements that, you know, when, when we get down, we can get back up again. It's not just me. It's Pennsylvania. It's our communities. That was his message. He's owning the fact that he's had this stroke and that it's the elephant in the room. He said the phrase elephant in the room several times. And that's part of the problem is that he would just repeat himself over and over and over and showed himself to be a very weak candidate. But again, for Dr. Oz's part, he didn't, he didn't say anything about Fetterman's health on purpose. He stuck strictly to the issues and used quotes from Fetterman and things he said in the past, things he said even recently about crime, about um, his running of that town that he was the mayor of and how that's been going and, and running that into the ground. And then border stuff, and especially energy, which is very pertinent to Pennsylvania as a, as an energy producing state. Uh, fracking, in particular, came up a lot, and abortion. That was the only issue that you could see Fetterman trying to beat Oz on was abortion, and it just didn't work. Partially because Fetterman can't talk. So, part of me feels bad about that. I was watching it with my wife. I'll conclude on this and say that she. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to bring her into things so much. I don't like doing that to her. But I'm sitting there on the couch watching this debate. She can hear it, and she's looking at me like, "What in the world are you watching?" She's she's not paying attention to the Senate race in Pennsylvania. She's paying attention to her kids in Illinois, going to school tomorrow. She's like, "What are you watching?"
I said, well, this is what it is. It's this Pennsylvania Senate debate. And gave her the whole history of Dr. Oz and Fetterman and the stroke and about, read about primary time. And she said, well, I applaud him. That is admirable that he is still up there doing that. And I said, honey, I understand where you're coming from there, but I think it's the exact opposite. He knows he's not capable, and yet he's still pushing forward. And they say his wife is is almost exclusively running his campaign now and, and would en- end up being the senator. And there's no reason for them to do that. That's got to be painful and, and very difficult for them to go through. I- imagine having to go through that without being on the international spotlight so he could help not only himself, and, and they can decide what's good for them. I'm not even saying that. I'll go so far as to say he's actually hurting his own party and his Democrat chances of holding the Senate, which I, as a Republican, I'm kind of glad about. I mean, I want to see Republicans take it, but he's hurting his party's chances of going forward. That, to me, is not necessarily admirable. If he were thinking party first, which should be country first then he would step down. That's just a fact. This is Wiggins America. We'll be right back. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. We'll be talking with Michael Letts here shortly. He's the co-founder of Invest USA an organization that supports police, non nonprofit, knows a lot about this kind of stuff nationally, and we're going to talk about St. Louis and what's happened this week. You know, I, I do want to address a little bit of a criticism. Some people say, and I, I can't even say that they say this directly, they just sort of have this feeling that in St. Louis in particular, but really anywhere, any major city at this point, how is a school shooting different than the murders that are happening every day? And there, that is true. Uh, there are murders happening every day. I used to work on the weekends as the news guy here at 97.1. Actually, um, before I was doing my own show, I, that's, I was doing the news for shows like my own. <laughs> and, uh, and you'd come in, you look at the Associated Press and, and just overnight news, and there, it was murders in the news every night. And this was pre-2020. So it's only gotten worse, statistically speaking. And people go, you know, if we're talking about these murders in particular, why are we not talking about the others? Well, there there's merit to that, but I think it's also that these are a different kind. Um, these are random, and maybe some of those other ones are random too. It's just harder to see the motivation. But when you are sending your kids to school and you put yourself in that situation, you say, Man, I'm sending my kids to school. What if somebody randomly walked into my kid's school? Whereas if a lot of these murders are taking place in North St. Louis, well, I'm just not going to go to North St. Louis. You know, there is a difference there, at least in the 
both in the motivation, because we still don't even know, um, clearly just slaughtering innocent people, uh, and in, in the other murders, we don't always know those motiv- motivations, but in this one, we, we do see that at least it was, it was somewhat random. So there's a difference. Um, I do want to point out this, though, that, uh, gosh, the national news. We saw this happen in Ferguson. It, it was really the first time I'd ever truly seen the bias of national news media. And some of it is just playing telephone. That one person here says something and they pass it along to somebody there and that person takes it and passes it along to somebody else and then somebody writes a story about it and then somebody else writes the headline. That does happen. And that's the nature of news, which is basically gossip. It's just people writing about what other people have done and said. But in this case, this looks very, very deliberate to me. Now, this is written for an African-American magazine or a black magazine, however you want to PC call that. Uh, the, the headline, though, is what really shocked me. And this is shared by Yahoo News. So you can say, well, it's a, it's a black-run publication, but it's Yahoo News sharing the story. And here's the deal. When you scroll through your news timeline, do you go, oh, I'm going to see who wrote this and who wrote that? I do sometimes, and I work in the industry. I would say the average person, if you're just keeping up on the news, you're not looking at, A, who's writing it, where it's coming from every single time. When you're just looking at a news aggregate like Yahoo or Real Clear Politics or something, it just puts together a whole bunch of stuff. But secondly, even if you are somebody who reads which publications are saying what and why, that's more detail than most people are doing already, so bravo to you. But all of us just read headlines. Like I said on the Mark Cox Morning Show uh, earlier this week, if a bridge collapses in Pittsburgh, you see the headline, maybe you click on the story. But if you see the headline and you know, oh man, 14 people were killed and dozens injured, you may not need to know more than that. It doesn't really affect you that a bridge is down in Pittsburgh unless you're traveling through Pittsburgh or you want to know more for whatever reason. So most people consume news through headlines and just kind of catch up. Here is the headline about us and about St. Louis and this school shooting. Shooting at St. Louis High School leaves multiple black students wounded and one killed. Now, again, if you're a black publication, that makes sense. But this is Yahoo News sharing this. (laughs) I don't even want to get into the criticisms of it even at its source. But when Yahoo shares it, That's where most people are going to see that headline. And so what does that look like? That looks like we just experienced in St. Louis a racially motivated killing spree. And by all accounts, that is so far from true. The old Mark Cox rule of down to paragraph five, which paragraph uh, tells you the truth, does finally share that the shooter was identified as 19-year-old Orlando Orlando Harris, a black man who graduated from the St. Louis High School last year and had no criminal history prior to the shooting. There's also still no clear motive as to why he decided to carry out this malicious act, which flies in direct contrast to what the headline is sharing. That, to me, is just so egregiously wrong. Now, again, this could have been lost in the shuffle. This could have been a black publication that Yahoo just decided to share because... They're a news aggregate and they're moving fast, but I I don't necessarily give them that deference based on what we saw with Ferguson, all the misinformation. 
This looks like deliberate misinformation so that a national audience reads St. Louis or a shooting at a St. Louis high school leaves multiple black students wounded and one killed. You read just the headline right there, you're going to think that's racially motivated for sure because that's the intention of the headline. We're going to talk more about this and police in general, police specifically in St. Louis, actually, from a national guest, Michael Letts with Invest USA. Coming up next, 97.1 FM Talk. This is Wiggins America. I've been looking forward to catching up with Michael Letts. We've had him on the show. Michael, uh, good day to you. Well, Brian, it's always a privilege to be on the show with you for making sure your listeners understand the truth of what's going on across this great country of ours and you do america a great service thank you for the invite yeah michael you are the founder president and ceo of invest usa you provide thousands of bulletproof vests for police and just generally support police across this country and uh i i was curious because i saw that you're doing research and looking into what's been going on in st louis obviously this has been in a really tragic week in st louis we've had a an incident here involving a school shooting but even in the midst of that, the St. Louis police have, by all accounts, done an incredible job. I don't know if you've been following this, but they, they really have. There's no question they have, and you, you have the comparison of what training and leadership does versus not having that. It would happen in Uvalde in South Texas. But here in St. Louis, the officers know the standard national procedure is when there is an active shooter involved, you have the scene and you engage and you take that active shooter out regardless of uh, the circumstances around you or make sure that he can no longer hurt anyone in the area. That's what your officers did. They responded. They were there within a couple minutes. They didn't have to do a powwow. They quickly assessed the situation and eliminated the threat. And that's the way law enforcement has been trained to work across the country. When you take politics out, and allow our officers to do what they're trained to do, you get the kind of results you saw yesterday. Tragic that we had a student and a teacher that were killed along with a few others, but I understand that they could have been much, much worse. There's over 600 rounds of ammunition yeah. placed throughout the school. So he definitely had you know, nefarious intent in mind. He wanted to go out with a bang, and law enforcement did their job, and I'm so proud of him. He had a plan for sure, and uh, they neutralized him so quickly. I think it was a total between the phone call and the police arriving or neutralizing him. I don't know which because it was very close together. They they went right in, and, and it was over quick. I think it was something like four to five minutes total, which is really impressive. But, uh, Michael, I, in light of an incident like this, you know, you said – taking politics out of it. We actually saw that for a few days here in St. Louis. While we did have politicians speaking at press conferences, we had Cory Bush and, and our uh, Mayor Tashara Jones. These are people who typically, they don't support police very much Cory Bush. Um, she has said many, many times before, I mean, she's full in on the phrase defund the police. So for her to stand there and um, <clears throat> make claims about the police, it's, it's good. I'm glad to see it. But I also know that we really can't divorce politics because politics is what's causing us to have problems staffing police uh, uh, offices right now, right? You are exactly correct. And, of course, you have to look at nothing is by happenstance. This is all a world orchestrated movement. It's been occurring for decades. The purpose behind the movement is to control the American populace. Well, you can't control a populace that's armed. And so they've been looking for ways to disarm the American populace. 
to do that, somebody's going to have to go door to door and collect the weapons. And they realize that local and state law enforcement want no part of something that's unconstitutional. And why is that? They go to church with you, right? I mean, they go to the grocery store. They see you. They live in the communities with you. They have to answer to you. So they're looking to put a federal force together to be able to do that. That's already underway. We can talk about that at some point in time. But to do that, why would you need a federal when you have state and local? Well, you have to create an image that state and local are incompetent, which is what we saw. That's how they started the defund the police. And what you recall in George Floyd, they had riots. They ordered those officers to stand down. Of course, the general public was thinking the officers were just incompetent, buffoons. Why weren't they not engaging in stopping the destruction and the burning down of cities? Because they were ordered to stand down. Once they were ordered to stand down and you had a progression there that they looked like they were racist, that they were uh, somehow to be disrespected, they couldn't do their job, well, then the next logical thing is, well, why are we funding them? So they moved to the defund the police movement, don't give them the proper equipment that they need, the bulletproof active shooter vest to be able to come home safely to their families. And the mainstream media portrayed that and continued to put that narrative out there and cause politicians to say, well, gee, we have a constituency base that doesn't think we should support them. Well, I guess we'll try to reform them by cutting their funding. And they have done such tremendous damage to America's safety and to America's freedoms that, quite frankly, it's going to take some time to repair all the damage that's been done. Michael, when we talk about police and specifically our local police here in St. Louis, and it's not just the St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department, but all of our local police. You know, I live in Illinois, so we've got our own police force in my town and and our state, obviously. Uh, but we we saw a lot from interim police chief Michael Sack this week giving press conferences about this school shooting. But you reference in uh, some information I was looking at here an email that he, same guy, just sent to staff earlier this month ex- ex- explaining the situation that says since 2017, over 815 officers have left their post. So my question for you is, is this a historic resignation? Are these, are these officers who are just leaving into different careers? Are they going into the suburbs? You know, where are these officers going? No, this is historic. And let me make sure that your uh, listeners understand the framework. We have never had lower morale in history in law enforcement or in first responders. We have never had a higher suicide rate among law enforcement and first responders. And we have never had more officers who have been targeted. They're not being targeted. It's not just doing their job. They're being ambushed and targeted and killed in the line of duty than ever before. So when you see all that and you take the next phase, the general attitude is, you're an idiot to be a law enforcement officer. You're a racist. You're a buffoon. You're, you're not worthy of respect. We're not going to pay you anything. We're not going to give you equipment. Uh, so then they go to the next phase. Why would I want to stay in an occupation that doesn't want me there, that I can't hold my head up high and get the respect that I so rightly deserve? How many people, Ryan, do you know who are willing to die for someone who doesn't even care about them to protect them and save their lives? Not very many. Yeah. And because of that, and they get to the point that, well, it is this bad. And as you mentioned, it's not just St. Louis. It's all over the country. New York City, 2,500 walked off the job and left their pensions within a couple of years. Their entire retirement, 2,500. L.A., Chicago, I can just name them all over the country. And it's filtering down into lower agencies as well. People are just saying, you know, 
I'm having to reevaluate. Why do I want to put my life on the line? I think the final thing, Ryan, that is so tragic is the Democrats have now said, okay, this is not working. We're going to pay a big price at the polls. Maybe we should fund the police or act like we support them. But they always look for their narrative and objective. And they build it in Congress now to guide some funding for law enforcement agencies. What people don't understand is there's caveats in there. You have to be willing to accept any of these federal dollars. You have to change your policies and procedures in your agency to reflect what's in the bill. What are some of the policy changes they want? No pursuit policy. In other words, if I'm apprehending an assailant and he starts beating on me and he gets away, he gets away. I can't run after him. I can't do anything about it. Can't pursue him in a vehicle. I have to be careful how I handle the assailant. Now, remember, we're in a life and death situation. He's beating me, and he wants to go home, and so do I. So it's, you know, the best man win. He's pulling all out all punches. I have to be worried about if I grab him the wrong way, I guess he's going to go to jail. Not him, but me. Mm-hmm. Why would I want to jeopardize my entire family for doing that? And this is what is happening across the country. While you're seeing officers that are now beginning to say, you know what, it's not worth it. When we get to the point and we're almost there, right, to where officers just walk off the job in mass and we have anarchy, I'm not sure what this country is going to do. It's going to fail. Yeah, Michael, and as we as we kind of close out here, we've been talking about St. Louis, but obviously other parts of the country. I said I live in Illinois, and I don't know if you're following the Safety Act there. That's I sure am. To, yes, exactly. It's Michael. You know what's amazing to me is that we watch a state like New York, which is deep blue. This is a Democrat state, yet you have Lee Zeldin running as a Republican for governor who could actually win that state. We don't know if he will, but obviously voters, there's a backlash going on right now against crime and against policies that encourage crime. I just, I can't believe that states like Illinois at a time like this are even going further to make criminal-friendly laws at a time when the voters are saying the exact opposite, it seems. You're exactly right, Ryan, and, and that is what is so frustrating. I tell people, I was just on an interview, just got off, and I told people on a national level, it is not we're picking Republican versus Democrat in two weeks. It's a policy matter, and the Democratic policies are hamstringing law enforcement, causing a violent spike in crime all across the country, destroying what's left of our law enforcement communities, and ultimately bringing America to its knees. Those policies cannot continue to exist. They have to be destroyed. The good thing is we do have elections that are coming up soon, and we should see, uh, if not a complete sea change, we are going to see some backlash to this. And it remains to be seen how, how deep it'll go. So we'll see that in... Well, I guess less than two weeks now, but Michael, let's appreciate your time and what you're doing with Invest USA. How do people find you if they'd like to? If they go to our website, www.investusa.org.org, it's a charity. All these uh, recommendations and they can follow all the things that are happening across the country and they can also make sure they support their first responders. Tell a first responder today, thank you for your service. It's the least we can do, Ryan especially here in St. Louis right now with everything that's happened in the last week. Michael, again, appreciate your time, and this is Wiggins America. Hey, I want to end the show here on something that I don't think has gotten much attention, partially because of when it happened. It was right after our show aired, this show aired last weekend, is when this started making the rounds. And it's in China, so I don't know exactly what the time difference is. It's something like 16-hour difference. So this could have been... 
Friday evening for them, and I don't know how, it, whatever. It was breaking as this show was getting over last week, and it was the uh, the Xi Jinping power brokerage. Now, if you've seen a little bit about this, you may already be concerned. I would think even if you haven't seen this thing itself, you're already concerned. Xi Jinping is a dictator, and he has now consolidated power. He will be a lifetime, quote-unquote, chancellor or president. But obviously, when you control by fear of death, I'm going to kill you if you don't vote for me. It's not a real democracy. I don't think I need to get into that. What's happened last weekend is fascinating, though, from a historical standpoint, because China has now moved. Now, it was always this communist kind of facade government that made you think that they were elected, then they weren't. But it has taken such, through Xi Jinping, it has taken such a turn over the last, I think, 10 years and now indefinitely, as long as Xi Jinping is alive, that dude is not letting go of power, that it's something different now. So it's gone from being, wow, this is concerning, we really need to watch out for them, we really should sanction them, we really should take them seriously, to... Now they're officially not just a communist regime, they are a dictatorial ship. And this is after we've come through COVID and we've known the terrible things that we've already known. This is sound that I actually stole from Brian Kilmeade. I'll give him credit for it. He's interviewing a guy named Vivek Gurguswamy. He has written a book about China and he sums this thing up very, very well. Take a listen. Officially, you can now say that Xi Jinping is the most powerful individual in the world by no small margin, and he now wants the world to know it. And what we witnessed that day at that ceremony, I mean, that, that alarming video of Hu Jintao being escorted out of that party meeting, that was a symbolic changing of the guard in this country. Right? Hu Jintao was the leader of China before Xi Jinping took over a decade ago. Get a consultative style of leadership that is now part of the past in China. He had this pro-growth economic agenda with a more of a soft posture towards the West as a trading partner. That is now part of the past. And what we now see in China is the rise of this autocratic, nationalistic, grievance-fueled culture instead. And, and I think that this day forward or this week forward, it is no longer even the CCP's China it is Xi Jinping's China, and I do not think the world is yet ready. I don't think America is yet ready to understand the consequences of what that means, and I'm afraid we're going to have to learn those consequences the hard way, I predict, not before very long. So if you didn't see the video, what he's referring to there, and I thought he did a better job of summing that up than I could, so I just wanted to play the whole thing. The former leader of China was escorted out by current Chinese leaders at the behest of Xi Jinping. Xi Jinping is doing this symbolically, not because he's actually threatened by that guy, but because he wanted to show the whole world at his, I guess you'd call it inauguration, but there was no question about him taking over, that the old is gone and the new is here and that he is firmly boot on throat in control now. So even the appearance of some sort of previous government was physically removed from the room. That, <laughs> that's why we've moved into a new era. And what he's signaling, I mean, he's doing this publicly. So he's doing this to show the world, get ready, something new is about to happen. What is something new? Well, 
you'd look at COVID and you go, oh, you're going to do something worse than that? Oh, boy, let's uh, let's get ready. I think probably what he's signaling is that he's about to go after Taiwan and he's telling everybody there's nothing you can do to stop us. We're going to do it. And anytime you take on a risk like that, because it is still a risk, you are the best thing you can do is show strength to the world. So he's doing that. Here's the problem. Here's actually the silver lining. When dictators, when people like him are so power hungry, they become so in control, they will do anything to keep that power. And the more they grip it, the more it slips out. The harder you, you, you pull on it, the more it pulls away from you. That's power. That's power in a nutshell. And what we're seeing right now is him grip that thing harder than he ever has. The bad news is, short term, China itself and surrounding China, and maybe even us, have a worse short term ahead of us in dealing with China. There's no more nice China. It's enemy China. For everybody, not just us, but for anybody who's not in their back pocket, I would even say Russia. I would say Russia and China have been friends recently simply because they have so many enemies, common enemies. But they're not friends, um, and I think they're about to find that out. Because when this happens, you start to see dictators lose control, and so they grip harder. That's their natural instinct. But it always works out for the better of the people. It's just short-term, man, it gets pretty rough. So I also brought up another clip that I thought highlighted this very, very well. This clip, let me set this up here, is from a Canadian academic. This is being shared throughout conservative Canadian circles. And I thought it was really, really good. Now, obviously, he's not native to Canada, but I think you can understand what he's saying here. He sums up what I'm saying right now better than I could. In the end, always destroys itself. So the masses always destroy themselves. Totalitarianism always destroys itself in the end. So and once you understand that, you understand. If you belong to the group that doesn't go along with the masses, you just have to make sure that the masses exhaust themselves, destroy themselves before they destroy you. And the only way to do so is by continuing to speak out. Because if you continue to speak out, the mass formation won't go so deep that they physically destroy you. And you just have to wait until the masses become weaker. And then the small group usually will gain traction, will start to become more powerful in society, and will finally be able to change society. Because, and that's the good news, this small group is going usually is, is usually going through a very fast psychological evolution. It becomes mentally more powerful just because it sees the masses. It sees the dehumanizing impact of the masses. And the small group, if it makes the right choices, will become more and more in touch with the essence of humanity and with the essence of life. So what he's saying there overall, which I thought was very well put, and he's referring to the dictatorialship as the masses uh, because they're in control. So if you, as the smaller group, or even the, the majority, but the weaker-voiced majority, can withstand the short term, you will win the long term. 
And actually what we're seeing, and this is why I think this is actually kind of a silver lining, again, longer term, not short term, is that when a dictatorship gets to this point, usually what you're seeing is they've already entered their death spiral. We've seen this in China, and the COVID era really accelerated it like it did so many other things. In China, though, they try to control the messaging. Their economy is a mess. They have shut down business. You think it was bad here. They shut down everything there and way beyond when we were. In 2021, mostly, when we were starting to come out of this and businesses were starting to reopen, that to some extent happened at the end of 2020. But we're talking in China, this was still going on this year that they were shutting down huge parts. I mean, giant companies. They were saying completely shut down, and some of them were American companies too. And so that's had the effect of actually pushing America out of China, which again is not a bad thing. You don't like to see it happen this way, but overall, not a bad thing. But these things are such a death spiral that I think what we're seeing is the beginning of the end for China as we know it. Now, what he's saying, this academic that I just played from Canada, what he's saying is as long as the minority, the compassionate minority, if you want to call it that, keeps their head about them. If they can withstand this, they will become the majority in the next season. Now, I don't know when that happens. Maybe that's five years from now. Maybe that's 20 years from now. Maybe it's even longer than that. But I do want to remind you of this. One of the biggest Christian populations in the world is in China. The reason you don't hear about it is because they're persecuted. What happens to persecuted Christians? They grow like crazy. The underground church in China is massive. So we could be seeing the end of this strict communist dictatorship in China. And again, when it actually ends, I don't know. But if the Chinese church can continue to be the church, not change their mission, stay healthy, stay passionate, they, you could see an enormous, monumental never-before-seen change happen in China. And we could see it within our lifetime. We could see it a lot sooner than that. I think that's a good way to end the show, so we'll stop right there. If you want to get the podcast, type in Wiggins America. We've been a little bit delayed on that, so don't mark my words. It'll be up as we finish the show here, but we'll try. We'll see what's going on. Um, But also... You can rewind by getting the Odyssey app, and that certainly is happening right now. So either way, if you missed the sound of the show, that's the way to catch back up on it. This is Wiggins America, and we will see you next week. Get more at 971talk.com. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.